Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Well, if you were here last Sunday, you know what a treat it was to hear the professions of faith of the eight students here. I love to listen to the stories every time. It's a treat every time we get to hear those professions, to hear the stories of, of how God moves, of how God softens hearts, of, of how all the different ways that God's Holy Spirit grabs our attention and gets a hold of our lives and, and builds that relationship of love and trust with, with God Almighty. Right? And, and that happens in so many different ways. Every story, as you saw last Sunday, if you hear, every story is so unique. Some of our stories, your stories are also unique. Right? Some of our stories have that, that big aha moment, right? When, when God flashes into our lives and, and changes us dramatically, and we can say, yes, that's when I knew Jesus was my Savior. And many of our stories have this gradual, lifelong journey, don't we? Where, where God's faithful presence is with us from when we are just children. And, and at some point in that journey, God kind of gets a hold of us and we, we gradually awaken until we realize that relationship is ours. It's not my parents, not my family's, it's, it's ours. And, and those kind of journeys, those kind of celebrations are celebrations that God wants to have in his kingdom more and more often. His Holy Spirit so badly wants to get a hold of the hearts and lives of every single person who doesn't know and acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. And you and I, those of us sitting here this morning, need to realize that we are a part of that process of bringing bringing the truth of Jesus Christ to this world that is desperate for them, desperate to know him. Right? Remember? Remember God's, Jesus' final command to us, his final words in the end of Matthew 28, before he ascends into heaven, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, what's his command to us? Go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples. Make an impact on this world in my name. And God's voice speaks to this world through you and through me. And that's scary, isn't it? That scares us. Honestly, honestly, many if not most of us are thrilled that someone else helped bring us into a relationship with God. But we don't want to have anything to do with doing that for someone else. That's too frightening. Too scary. So for these next three weeks on this three-week journey, each week we're going to be hearing a three-word message. A message that God somehow spoke to each one of us and now that we have the privilege of speaking to someone else, of speaking to this world around us, to the neighbor, to the friend, to the family member who's desperate for God, whether they know it or not, right? These messages are all parts of our spiritual stories, right? And it starts somehow in some way. Every believer's story starts with, with these three beautiful words for this week. I was invited. 
whether it was being invited to church, whether it was being invited to camp, whether it was simply being invited to, to know who Jesus is. There's an invitation. I believe it was Ian Anderson who stood up here just last Sunday. And when he was telling, making his profession, he shared that it was a friend who invited him when he was younger to cadets. And it is through that invitation that Ian grew to know Jesus more and more. And, and that relationship blossomed and came alive, right? Somewhere in your story, somewhere in all of our stories, we were all invited to experience something bigger than ourselves. To experience the truth of Jesus Christ. It's exactly the pattern and the principle that Jesus himself models for you and for me. Right? Jesus, if you read through the Gospels, you know Jesus was, was a teacher. And Jesus was a theologian. And Jesus was a debater with the Pharisees, right? But we can also clearly see Jesus as an inviter. He was an inviter. Again and again and again, we see him simply issuing an invitation. An invitation to a spiritual adventure. An invitation to a new life, a better life. An invitation to a true relationship with God. He lets people see the life that he's living. A life lived in relationship with the Father. And then he simply invites them to experience what he is experiencing. It's how, that's how Jesus gathered many of his disciples around him. Right? Early in his ministry, Jesus, this young rabbi, he teaches and, he, and, he, and he, he preaches and he breaks into these moments and ushers invitations. Simple, uncomplicated invitations. Right? Think about it if you know the stories. He sees two fishermen casting their nets into the, the Sea of Galilee. And he says to them, come and follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. And it says that at once Peter and Andrew left their nets and followed him. And they became disciples. It's a simple invitation, right? Later, Jesus is walking through town. He sees tax collector Matthew sitting in his tax collecting booth. And it says that he simply steps up to him and he says two words. Follow me. And Matthew gets up and follows him. Later, Jesus sees Philip. And again, two words. Follow me. And Philip's response isn't even recorded in the Gospels. It's assumed, it's a given, that he gets up and he follows. Jesus simply gives this invitation again and again and again. Come, follow me. And it isn't always accepted. Right? There are those who turn the invitation down. There are those who want to be his disciples but have other priorities. Or, or, or who want to wait until later. Can I come and follow you later, Jesus? Because I don't want to do it right now. i got other things going on. Or there's those who, who don't want the hardship. Right? It's tough traveling. There's no, no place to lay his head, right? There's the rich young ruler. Jesus gives him the same words. He, he says, come follow me. You have to leave your money behind, but follow me. And he says, I can't leave my money behind. Not everyone accepts his invitation. But I am struck at how many people actually do. And it doesn't even really take any coercing. It doesn't even really take that much convincing on Jesus' part. 
It just simply takes giving the invitation. Come, follow me. And they do. Now that means that if you and I are going to be really serious about becoming more and more like Jesus, and that isn't just an empty spiritual platitude that we talk about. You want to be more like Jesus. Right? If we are going to become more like Jesus, if we are going to be obedient to his command to us to go and make disciples, then you and I also need to learn to be inviters, just like Jesus. We have been invited, and now we get to do the inviting. We get to see that pattern lived out perfectly in John chapter 1. Take out your Bibles. Turn with me to John chapter 1, page 861 in the Bibles you have in front of you. 861. John chapter 1, verse 43. We're going to start there because verse 43 is, is Jesus' invitation to Philip that we already noted, right? Verse 43, it says, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. And Philip must follow. We don't get the answer, but he does follow. But I want us to read from there to see what Philip does immediately after he was invited. Read through verse 46 with me. It says, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, the fishermen before him, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. Pause there for a moment. Come and see. Notice what he did there. Philip doesn't try to convince Nathanael of anything. He doesn't try to argue with him of, of why Jesus, why he believes Jesus is the Messiah. He doesn't pull out his Old Testament scroll and start pointing out to all the prophecies and how Jesus fulfills them. He, he, he doesn't do any of that logic type stuff. He simply says, come and see. He gives the invitation to experience the story that he is living out. Come and see Jesus. That's all it took. Because Nathaniel goes. Read on with me. It says, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Nathanael accepts the invitation he comes and he sees Jesus for himself, and he ends up believing. Philip did not need to convince his friend of anything, because convincing and convicting is God's job. That's what the Holy Spirit does. 
It isn't our job to change someone's heart. Only God can change a heart, right? Our job is to invite them into the presence of God. Jesus invites Philip. Philip says yes. Philip invites Nathaniel. Nathaniel says yes. And Nathaniel comes to Jesus. It's a beautiful pattern. That's a part of all our spiritual stories. I was invited, whether it was by your parents, to make your faith your own. Whether it was by a neighbor or a friend, by somebody. We were invited. And now we get to do the inviting. If you're at all like me, part of me immediately comes up with all the excuses why this won't work for me. Excuses that get me off the hook of being this kind of inviter. And the easiest excuse is that I'm not Jesus, which is pretty obvious to see. And you aren't Jesus either. Of course people are going to respond to Jesus. He's Jesus. But why would they respond to my invitation? They're going to respond to me the same way they responded to him. And all of these stories that we read, they happened 2,000 years ago in a different culture, in a different part of the world. What worked back then, back there, certainly doesn't work in 2017 in our affluent West Michigan anti-church culture, right? We can't expect that, simply giving an invitation to work with my neighbor, with my friend, with my co-worker, with my kids. Amazingly, modern studies prove these fears and excuses wrong. The numbers vary by, by the survey and how they ask the questions. But in general, when they asked unchurched people in the United States if they would come to church, if they were simply invited, somewhere between 50 and 80% of unchurched people said, yes, I would come. If a neighbor that I knew or a friend or a family member in, just invited me to come, I would say yes, and I'd go. Think about that. Even if we take the lower number, okay, let's be skeptical, 50%. Those are, those are pretty good odds. Those are pretty good odds for someone to say yes to your invitation. They'll come if you simply say, would you come with me? They don't need to be convinced. We don't need to give them, you know, the four spiritual laws. We don't need to have the Roman road all memorized. We don't need to take our Bibles and say, here, let me prove it to you. We just need to ask them to come with us. Would you come with me to church? Would you come with me to cadets? Would you come with me to gems? Hey, how about, how about you come with me and my child to Music in Motion on Tuesday mornings? I'd love to have you come. It's at my church. How about you come with me to the live nativity? I'm going to the Easter egg hunt. You want to go with me? Or maybe even I'm going to go serve dinner downtown at Degage. I know you, you love people and you work for social justice. How about you come with me and let's serve together? All it takes... It's an invitation to come and experience Jesus with me. True confessions. I really blew this a couple weeks ago. I missed a spectacular opportunity that God 
brought literally to my front yard. Right, so I was out edging my lawn a couple weeks ago. One of my favorite things to do. Call me crazy, but I love it. Put my headphones on. Beautiful spring day. I'm out edging my yard, and I looked up, and I saw this woman walking towards me from the walking path across the street. And honestly, my heart kind of sank, because I get into my own little world with my music and the sunshine, and don't really like to be interrupted, but over she came. So I took off my headphones, and I heard her say to me, I'm sure you don't remember me, but I'm here to say thank you. And she was exactly right. I had no clue who she was. I didn't remember her at all, and I humbly admitted it to her. And she reminded me, she said, I stopped here while you were mowing the lawn last fall. And suddenly I remembered her, because another interruption while I'm mowing the lawn, right? She said, I stopped here last fall and interrupted you while you were mowing the lawn. And I asked you about the neighborhood, because my daughter and her new husband were looking at buying a house in the neighborhood. And you told me all about the neighborhood and, and, and how great it was, a wonderful neighborhood to live in. I just came to say thank you because they bought the house and they are beginning to settle in and they love it here and they're just finding their way around Granville and just thank you because they love the neighborhood and they're so glad that they moved in. And I felt pretty good. I felt pretty good about that. And we chatted for a few minutes and I welcomed them to the neighborhood and, and all that stuff and, and then we parted ways and she went for her walk. I went back to edging my lawn and as soon as she turned the corner I realized... Mm, I just missed a perfect opportunity. Why didn't I simply ask? It could have been so simple saying, hey, as part of their settling in, did they find a church home yet? She could have, what, what's the worst that's going to happen? She's going to say no, and we're going to move on. Or maybe she'd say no, but they're looking. And maybe I could have said, hey, how about, how about you come with me? I know a great place. Oh, I kicked myself. I missed it. How might God have used that simple question? Have they found a church home yet? That easy invitation. This is a lesson I need to learn. I need to learn to be a better inviter. Right, there, there's one more story that I want us to see in John chapter 4. It's just one page over from where we were. John chapter 4, page 863. Because this story shows us how powerful an invitation can be. And of how God can use it. It's the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. If you haven't read this story in a while, I encourage you to read, read the first part of this chapter for your devotions today. Maybe around the dinner table at lunch today. Because we don't have time to read the whole thing. But, but if you remember the first part of this story, Jesus is, is traveling through Samaria. And, and, and he stops at a well at, at midday because he's thirsty. His disciples go into town to get some food. So he's sitting by this well all by himself. And a Samaritan woman comes to draw water from the well. And he asks her for a drink of water, which is culturally wrong for so many reasons. Right? Jesus is ignoring the, the cultural barriers of race and of gender, of class, of theology, simply by talking with her let alone drinking out of her, her pitcher and her cup. But Jesus, uh, he amazes her by not only having this, this long conversation with her that you can read here on your own, but he amazes her by revealing to her the painful details of her life, of how she's had five husbands, and now she's given up on this whole marriage thing. It's just 
choosing to live with guy number six. And all that brokenness in her life that left her judged and as an, and as an outcast, hence coming to the well by herself at noon. And amazingly, at the end of this interchange with her in verse 26, here is where Jesus reveals for the very first time to someone that he is the Messiah, and he does it to the Samaritan woman. So that whole section is a powerful lesson of the barriers that Jesus breaks down in the kingdom of God. But if we keep on reading, if we keep following the Samaritan woman through the rest of the story, we see a profound lesson of the power of an invitation. I mean, look at what happens following that. Start at verse 27 with me. So it's just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Pause there for a moment. You see that just like Philip? She becomes an inviter. Come and see. Come and see for yourself. Come and see. And I think about it. If anybody would fail as an inviter, if anybody would be a poor choice to give the invitations, she would be one of the worst choices. Remember, she is a social outcast in town. It isn't like people are eager to listen to her. It's not like they respect every word that she has to say. And look at how she does it. She, she certainly doesn't convey a lot of confidence in herself or in the invitation, right? Instead of making a bold declaration, hey, I found the Messiah, she tentatively wonders to them, could this be the Messiah? I don't know. Could be. I would expect a message like that coming from a woman like her, I would expect that nobody would come. But they do. It says the whole town made their way out to see Jesus. They all said yes to her invitation. And look at what happens. Skip down to verse 39 with me. It says many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days, and because of his words, many more believers, many more became believers. He said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. So why in the world did they come? Why did they accept her invitation? Not because she was so convincing. Not because she convinced them with all the facts that she knew. She didn't know the facts. They came because she shared her story. She told them about her encounter with Jesus and how he changed her heart. She told them about what he said to her. And then simply said, check it out for yourself. I'm going back there. Why don't you come with me? 
Come and see for yourself. That's the power of a story, of your story, your spiritual story, and my spiritual story, and the stories of these eight people who were here last Sunday. Because you can't argue with somebody's spiritual story, can you? Their, their story is their story. It's not right or wrong. It's their story, period. Your story of Jesus is your story. And all of our stories are intriguing enough to bring people in, to connect them with God. This woman's invitation, her story of her encounter with Jesus brought them to Jesus. And it's Jesus then who changed their hearts. Right? We no longer believe because we didn't, just because we came from your story. We believe because now we have met him for ourselves and Jesus has changed our hearts and changed our lives. They make that clear to her in verse 42. She didn't have to convince them. She just needed to invite them. Only God can change a heart. But he asks you and I to do the inviting. That's our job. That's our privilege. Honestly, there's times in life in general where I don't want to invite, right? I'm an introvert. I, I don't always like to invite. There's a contest right now on Facebook. You can win four Detroit Tiger tickets. So I registered, right? And then, and then they say, make sure you invite all your friends to register too. I didn't do that. The more people who register, the less chance I have to win. Right? I didn't invite anyone. Boy, it makes me sound like a horrible person. I know, however, that God's grace is wide enough and big enough for every single person. Jesus' death and resurrection was sufficient to forgive everybody's sin. It's enough to save every single person who ever has lived, who ever will live, whoever is living right now. I don't have anything to lose. And they have everything to gain. So why wouldn't I simply invite? Why wouldn't I want to share it? Why wouldn't I want my neighbor and my coworker and my family member and the lady who talks to me while I'm mowing my lawn, why wouldn't I want them all to share the joy of the salvation that God has granted me and is eager to grant to them? Why wouldn't I at least give the invitation? At least give the invitation. His odds are pretty good that they might actually come. Someone you know is waiting for you to invite them to meet Jesus. To let them know how Jesus has changed your life. To let them know where you find your hope and your strength and your joy in the middle of whatever is going on in your life. Somebody's waiting for you to let them know that there's a community of people where you belong, where you're cared for and loved. Someone is waiting for you to let them know that they are welcome. They're waiting for you to invite them. So who might that be? 
Who might that be? Seriously. Maybe a name or a face comes to mind. I hope so. If there's a name or a face of somebody you work with, somebody who lives nearby, a family member, a grandchild maybe, if somebody's face comes to mind, start praying for and then making the opportunity to simply give the invitation. And if no name and no face comes to mind immediately, I'm confident that sometime soon, God will bring you face to face with somebody, maybe while you're edging your lawn, face to face with somebody who's ready for an invitation. Pray that you don't miss it. Someone invited you. It might have been a mom or a dad who encouraged you to take that last step. It might have been a teacher, a friend. Somebody invited you. Now it's your turn to give that invitation. We're going to take our offering here this morning. Our offerings are for church ministries here at Ivan Rest Church as we continue to reach out into our world, hopefully giving that invitation in a myriad of different ways. And while we take this offering this morning, uh, we're going to see a, a video, a little drama played out of a perspective of somebody coming into church, somebody who needs to be invited, somebody who might just come if you choose to give the invitation. So may God bless you as you give and keep learning as you watch as well. going to be full. It's always full. And it'll be the same in your church, I promise. It'll be full. It'll be full of people like me, full of people who haven't been in church in a while, full of people who think they might be critiqued or analyzed or judged unfairly, full of people who don't have God in their lives and aren't exactly sure how to get him back. But you know what, before I step in, I need you. I need you to do something that's probably a big deal for you. You're going to see me this week, and I need you not to walk past me. And I need you to work through your fear, because I'm working through mine. And I just, I just need you to invite me in. And if I act like I'm not interested in going to church with you, still, I need you to ask me to come. I need you to help me see God. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I need you more than you know. Because look, at the end of the day, God said he loved me enough to die for me. I mean, that is the claim, right? 
if he died and he didn't stay dead? Your church will be full this weekend. Your church could be full this weekend with people just like me. Different face, different skin color, different age, sex, or social status. But make no mistake, I could be sitting right next to you. I just need you to invite me in, that's all. Nothing more, nothing less. And nothing complicated. And nothing driven by guilt. Just invite me in. I need you to. Pray with me. Father, it amazes me that you would do all that you did, that you would send your son, that Jesus, you would die on that cross, that you would raise him from the dead, Father, that you would make this way for us to be saved, to open the doors of heaven to forgive us completely, that you would do all of that, that it's sufficient enough for every person. And then you put that treasure, you'd entrust that treasure to us. And you'd say, church, I'm going to give this gift through you. It is amazing that you would make us be the inviters. You could do such a better job, God. And yet you trust us. And so, Father, help us to set our fears aside. Help us to have the courage that we need. Give us, first of all, the love that we need. Help us to care. To care enough. To care about those who don't know you to care about the, their eternal destination instead of, instead of just walking right on past and not caring one bit. Give us a love that refuses to stay silent and help us to set aside our fears to simply give the invitation so that you can do the work, so that you can change a heart Father, may we be the church as you designed us to be. May we take, take this challenge, this invitation, this command seriously. And then may we celebrate when you do great work. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me please as the worship team comes forward? We're going to sing one last song. It's, uh, it's one I remember singing growing, growing up. I love to tell the story. I want you to remember it's your story. Your